Okay, friends, if you have a Bible, please open with me to Psalm chapter 36. We're going through the Psalms over the summer. One of, one of you sent me a picture of you DJing for uh, a party this week. And if, if, the, if, the, if the church had a, had a song list, if, if Jesus was DJing for his body, then the playlist would be the Psalms. The Psalms were the songbook of God's people. For 3,000 years, these 150 songs have been the expression of God's people's emotions, the highs of celebration and the lows of depression and lament. These, these songs were required for a thousand years for the ordination into the ministry. In fact, until the early 1800s, they're required for, for most denominations to, to ordain their ministers. They had to have the Psalter memorized. Psalm 37. They had to just say it. The Psalms were the heartbeat of, of many church fathers, like St. Augustine, who quoted them as he died in 430 AD, and so also did Jesus quote the Psalms, even as he died. Psalm 36 is a song of lament. And last week in Psalm 35, we talked about lamentation just a bit. And when we talked about what it means to lament, you know, oh Lord, how, how we wait for you, Lord. We long for you. We long for you. It was a cry of lament. And this psalm teaches us how we are to lament. And it shows us the brilliance, the brilliance of God's covenant promises against the darkness of our own hearts and the wickedness that we see around us. So if you're willing and able, I want you to think about this phrase, that God's blinding love is binding love. His blinding love is binding love. And see as I read the psalm, children especially, see if you can see the contrast of darkness and light. To the choir master of David, the servant of the Lord, transgression speaks to the wicked. Deep in his heart there is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast, you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light do we see light. Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down 
unable to rise. Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Owasso, Oklahoma. Our passion is to show that grace changes everything in Jesus Christ by equipping you to rest in worship, grow in community, and rediscover your calling. To join our body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at trinityowasso.com. His parents did not give him a blanket when he was young because he would always lose it. We gave him comfort. We're with pebbles. And he would hold on to these pebbles and he would know exactly where he was. He would hold on to the pebbles because he knew he'd be on the roadside where he, blind from birth, would beg. They called him Seely, and he begged most of his young life. He could tell a dialect, he could tell where the person was from by the way they spoke within the first five words. He knew exactly where they lived. He knew if they were foreigners. He knew if they lived nearby. He couldn't see. He was blind from birth, but he had incredible hearing. And there he was. First for a couple of days, then for a year, feeling his way back home, and coming back to the same spot. The pebbles, that's what gave him comfort because he knew exactly where he was. And one day, he heard a dialect of somebody he knew had grown up in the area. And he heard him far off teaching. He heard him from days and days and days. And one day he heard this, he heard this voice come closer to him and he had heard the teaching. And, and in, in his joy, he heard people talking about him, about him sitting there by the road where he had the pebbles in his hands. Give him comfort. Had since he was a little boy. First for days, then for years, then for decades. And he heard voices talking about him. Him. He was a beggar. People never talked about him. They, in fact, wouldn't talk about him. They would just keep on walking. He could tell by the scuffle of their feet that they were walking on the other side of the road to get away from him. But they, they were talking about him. And then he sees this man. He sees this man. He sees this man, even though he was blind. And this man named Yeshua, his name was Jesus, comes up to this man with pebbles in his hand. And he hears him. And he says, your faith has made you well. I want you to imagine what it would be like to have never seen light. To live in darkness all of your days. Can't even see your hand in front of your face. 
And to take comfort not in hearth and home, but take comfort in the pebbles by the roadside where you sat and you begged for years, days, years, and then decades. And I want you to think what it would have been like to see the light for the first time. To the way you squint when you see this one. I want you to think about the time when you've slept, even in the last couple of weeks, and the sun of our June days just comes rushing into your bedrooms, and you come out of a deep sleep, and you throw up in the shades. What do you do? You look, you look down. You squint your eyes because you can't stand how bright it is outside. And in this psalm, in Psalm 36, it's as though Jesus takes us back to that roadside where we... A man who was the one healed by Jesus in John 10, who church throughout history has called his name Silidonius. We don't see that name in the Bible, but that's the name that they have given to this man who was healed. Was it, who was it, his parents or was it him that caused him to be blind by birth? And Jesus says, no. He is healed from his blindness, I tell you, because we want you to magnify the amazing and glorious works of God. And what is it that Jesus says just to his disciples before he heals this man, Celadonius, the church has called him, who is begging at the roadside? Jesus says to them, I am the light of the world. And John doesn't tell us when he's writing this chapter of John, but it's not far-fetched to think that maybe he had... Psalm 36 in his mind when he was writing that story of the man who was healed of blindness by Jesus on the roadside. Because Psalm 36 is a psalm of contrasts, of darkness and light. Look with me, if you will, at the first five verses, four verses. It, transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God. The, he describes the darkness of the wicked first. It's the darkness of the wicked. Notice, just, just count the descriptions of the wicked here. Listen, feel the darkness of one who has never seen moral, spiritual light. They have no fear of God. In Romans chapter uh, 3, as Steve and Misty read earlier, Paul is trying to think about how do I describe the darkness of the wicked? And he quotes this psalm. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one seeks after God. The way of peace they have not known. Verse 18, Romans chapter 3. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, in, when we hear the word fear in Scripture, many of us have learned and been taught that the fear here is this fear of his, of, it's not like a scared, terrorizing fear. It's like this fear of reverence and awe, the kind of fear that you would have if the most important person in the world were to walk into the room. You would have a sense of awe and respect. You might even sit up straight in your chair. You might even stand for them as they walked into the room, right? Well, what's interesting in this passage is that the, David, who's writing this psalm, doesn't use that term for fear. He uses the Hebrew term pahad, which is actually the terrorizing fear that we have learned that fear usually doesn't mean. And so here what he's saying is that he ha he's not even terrorized 
He's not even scared. And he should be of the judgment and wrath of God. This wicked person is so self-consumed. He has no fear of God. In fact, he just flatters himself. Notice what it continues to say. He flatters himself, verse 2, in his own eyes. His iniquity cannot be found out and hated. His in- he can't even hate his own iniquity. You know what that means? It means that he can't confess his sin because he doesn't hate it. He doesn't even see it. He's blind. Do you feel it? Do you see it? Utter darkness. Moral despair. He is helpless to confess what is true. And what does this lead to? Well, this worldview where he is just so self-consumed and caught up with himself, David writes, leads to every word out of his lips or trouble. He has gone to bed with deceit and he's comfortable with lies. Can't believe him. He can't be trusted. He ceases to act wisely he ceases to do good, verse 3. Do you, fe- do you see the blindness? Do you feel the darkness? He plots trouble while on his bed. He is lazy. His imagination has just run wild with plots of how to get himself out of scrapes. Like he, w- he's, he wakes up thinking about how to plot evil. He has set himself up for failure and he doesn't even know it. And he doesn't even reject the poison of evil. He just drinks it up. The darkness of the wicked. And then in verse 5, something extraordinary happens. It's like all of a sudden the psalmist shines a light on us again. And the light gets brighter and brighter and brighter. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh my gosh. I see it. And the psalmist, in contrast to the wicked, just bursts forth, opens the shutters, throws open the sash, and you see the light beaming into his soul. And he says, how great is your steadfast love, O Lord. It extends to the heavens. You see, the psalmist contrasts the steadfast love of the Lord to the wicked. If I were writing this psalm, do you know who I would contrast with the wicked? Myself. The righteous one. But notice what the psalmist does here. He teaches us something about how to dispel the darkness of our days and of our own hearts. He doesn't focus on his own righteousness. He doesn't focus on, well, I do good. I speak words of wisdom. I'm the one who gets up out of my bed. And in fact, I make in my bed every day and then pour my coffee and go about and do good deeds for the poor. No, he says, the steadfast love of the Lord extends to the heavens. He contrasts the wickedness of this person with God's steadfast love, which is one of my big problems. Because when I want to get out of the moral uh, darkness of my own life, when I fall into bad habits, and when you do too, I imagine that we always start with techniques. Okay, I need to go and I need to 
redouble my efforts to come to worship and redouble my efforts to read your word. All of those are great fruits, but the root is always meditating on the beauty and the character and the grandeur and the steadfast, loyal, ever faithful love of God. Amen? Marinating on the truths of who God is is actually the secret to growing in your sanctification. And here the psalmist says, your chesed love, your loyal love, your covenantal love extends to the heavens. You know what that means? It means that it's limitless. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Do you know what that means? It means that Jesus is the faithful one. He is true to his promise. And he has proven that by going to the cross for you. Not for the person next to you. For you. He died on the cross for you. And when he did, he quoted the Psalter for you. He said, yes, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. His faithfulness is limitless. Not only is his faithfulness limitless, but his righteousness is never changing. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. It stands fast. No matter what the storm does, it may destroy and topple man-made uh, man things, but it won't destroy those mountains. They stand forever. His judgments are bottomless. They're an abyss. They're deeper than the great deep, <sighs> flooding with light, the beauty of God. Man and beast, he saves. He's not saying he's going to save your puppy dog in the same way he saves you. What he's saying is he supplies what man and beast need in order to live. In fact, in Psalm 104, he says that you make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them the birds of the heavens dwell. You cause grass to grow for the livestock and the plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of men. Oil for his face and bread to strengthen man's heart. God provides for the beasts of the earth and for mankind through his natural revelation. He's given so much for us. And then the psalmist goes on and he says, the, the blinding love of God, this ray of hope, this ray of light is binding because he has bound himself to us. And he has promised to give us these things for those of you who stop trying by techniques to earn your way to God or to satisfy your deepest thirsts, but to come to the one, the Lord Jesus, who satisfied everything for you through his death on the cross because an infinite sacrifice was required. And then he yields this to you. He gives this to you. And he binds himself to you. And it says, the psalmist writes, how precious is your steadfast love, O Lord. It is precious. In Psalm 31, how abundant is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge for you. Who did the work? The Lord. In the sight of the children of mankind, in the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has shown me the wonders of his steadfast love. 
How precious is your steadfast love. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. This is a phrase that David heard from his grandmother, right? Ruth. Ruth was the one who first heard that Boaz said to Ruth, take shelter under the covert of my wings. And Ruth said, I will take shelter under the covert of your care and of your wings. And here David, from one generation to the next, David had heard this from the lips of his grandmother perhaps. And he uses this metaphor when describing the steadfast love of the Lord. And they will feast on the abundance of your house. He will satisfy them with every good thing. And you will give them drink from the rivers of your delight. Oh, the rivers of God's delight. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your truth. Your name and your renown are the desire of our soul. What we long for most is found in the beauty of the gospel of Christ, which floods our life like light, though we have been blind by sin all of our life. Can you imagine what Syllodosius would have experienced when he first saw Jesus after being healed. Out of the darkness, light. Which brings us to verse 9. For with you is the fountain of life. Be shocked, O heavens. Be appalled. The Lord says through Jeremiah, For my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me the fountain of living water, and they have hewn for themselves broken cisterns, cisterns that can hold no water. And here Jesus holds it out to you and says, take and drink, all of you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in your light do we see light. It was the light of the world who's come to take away the sins, John says. In John chapter 4, the, the woman at the well says, Jesus, give me this water to drink. And he says to the woman, oh, <laughs> I am that water. When, when, uh, when Paul is, is giving his testimony in Acts chapter 26, what, how does he describe it? He describes it as one who is bringing light to the world. He says, God has called me to bring light to those who have had eyes that have been darkened by sin, to, to the Gentiles, I come. And saw in Acts 26, verse 18, he says, I come to bring the marvelous light of God so that you can see. What is it that, that Peter describes the church? And how does Peter describe the church? In 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of yourself. No, of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Don't you see Psalm 36 just radiates throughout all of Scripture, contrasting the darkness of wickedness with the light of the steadfast love of God. The darkness of wickedness, the binding love of God that is just blind, blinds us with his beauty. He provides fellowship and celebration for us. He provides vision for obedience and wisdom. In his way is light. Uh, fathers in the room, if you, want, if you want to do something fun for your kids this week, then like strap on a headlamp and open up Psalm 119 and read Psalm 119 to your children and get to the point 
It's like 100, 100-ish, some of you will know it exactly, 105 maybe, Psalm 119, 105. Your, your word is a, a light, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my way. And just read God's word for them, marinate their hearts in the beauty of what is true. Because they're marinating their hearts in something all week long. My, my kids wanted me to build a, um, a little bonfire pit in, in our backyard this week. Um, or a couple of weeks ago, and so we, we, we built this little bonfire pit, and we have two peach trees in our backyard that are by this bonfire pit. And um, what the nursery told me when we planted them is they need water every so often. But, but because this bonfire pit is so close to these, these two peach trees, you can imagine what happens to that peach tree that's closest to the fire pit, Right? It just dries out. And so we've got to saturate that tree days before we, we have a fire back there so that the tree's leaves don't grow brittle and don't break. And do and you know when the time to marinate your heart is? It's always before the fire starts. You have to get into the habit to marinate your heart in the steadfast love of the Lord and to know his word and to sink your teeth into it because when you see another news of another mass shooting or when you experience the loss of a job or you have to change plans even though you were so close to retirement and now plans have changed and you have to figure things out financially, you marinate your heart in the truth of God's steadfast love for you. That's how you sustain your way because it's not you who's binding. You're not the one doing it. It's Jesus binds himself to you. And he expresses that love to you directly through his word and also through his people. So the darkness of the wicked, the binding love of God, we see in verses 5 to 9. And then we see in verses 10 through 12, this light of his way. Where the psalmist just says, in your light do we see light. Would you continue in your steadfast love? More, Jesus. More. Please, more. I want more of your presence. I want more. I want more. Better than, better than any other thing that might possibly fill the void in my heart. I want more of your presence. I long to know you better. I long to know your word. I long to understand it. I want to know your thoughts after you. I want to be able to love other people like Jesus loves. I want to stop being so self-absorbed. Jesus, would you make us more like you? Continue in your steadfast love upon, uh, for those who know you and your righteousness to the upright in heart. Verse 11, protect us from the arrogance that we are so susceptible to. Notice that the psalmist is contrasting darkness and light, but he's very well aware that he can tend to walk back toward the darkness. Let not the foot of the arrogance of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away from your presence. There the evildoers lie fallen and they are thrust down and unable to rise. I know how you use social media. <laughs> I know that you look at all these things that other people have and you start to want it. You start to get the wantsies. You start to say, oh, if I could just have this. The grass is not greener than where the Lord has put you right now. This very moment in your life. He knows about that whatever that is for you. 
And he wants you to stand before the open shades of his love and to bask in the warmth of his embrace, of his steadfast love. And he wants to light your way. This week in, in our session meeting, uh, Chuck Simmons led the uh, devotional for the session. And he was quoting uh, from one of uh, John Bunyan's uh, 157 books Chuck taught us in our session meeting that John Bunyan wrote. And there's a book that, that he wrote called Welcome to Jesus Christ. And in that book, there's a, a dialogue between a, a person and Jesus. And as Chuck read that, I thought, that's a dialogue between me and Jesus. That's the way I talk to Jesus. And I bet it is probably the way you talk to him too. And here's how the dialogue goes. Jesus and this man, but I'm a great sinner. And Jesus says, but I will no wise cast you out. But I'm an old sinner. And Jesus says, but I will in no way cast you out. But I'm a hard-hearted sinner. I will in no way cast you out. But I'm a backsliding sinner. I will in no way cast you out. But I have served Satan all of my days. I will in no way cast you out, says Jesus. But I have sinned against light. And Jesus says, I will in no way cast you out. But I have sinned against mercy. I will in no way cast you out. I have no good thing to bring with me. And Jesus says, I will in no way cast you out. No, wait, you say. You don't understand. I really messed up in all kinds of ways. I know, Jesus says. You know most of it, sure, certainly more than what others see, but there's a perversity down deep inside me that's hidden from everybody. I know it all. Well, the thing is, it isn't just my past. It's my presence, too. I understand. Jesus says. But I don't, I don't know if I can break free from this anytime soon. Well, that's the only kind of person I'm here to help. Well, the burden is heavy, and it's heavier all the time. And Jesus says, well, let me carry it. It's too much to bear. Not for me. You don't get it. My offenses aren't directed toward others. They're against you. Well, then I'm the one most suited to forgive you. But the more of the ugliness in me you discover, the sooner you'll get fed up with me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Jesus is faithful to his word, friends. He says, all that the Father has given to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out, John 6, 37. His faithfulness stretches to the clouds. For Silidonius, the man who was born blind, there's a little Silidonius in all of us. And the good news of the gospel this week is that Jesus invites you to reread Psalm 36 and to read it with a headlamp. Close your door. 
and then go to the window shades and throw open the windows and feel the warmth as the light floods into that room. Because in contrast to the wicked, who is just in this flat spin of a negative feedback loop in despair, Jesus says the way to walk in the light is to meditate on his steadfast love, which is limitless. His righteousness is faithful and true. He will be the one that sustains you and he will deliver you. And may we as a church learn to pray like this. May we as community groups learn to love like this. May we as people of God in the midst of this church encourage other churches. Not think, well, we've got it right because this or that. But to block arms with fellow believers in this city. And to love our neighbors because they are laughing. They are laughing at the Lord because of all the ways they perceived that he has let them down when they, in the darkness of their hearts, are blind to their own sin. And we ought to be the most compassionate. We ought to be the ones quickest to make friends with unbelievers in our community. Can you do it? Peter says that Jesus extends the light in us and then once in us, through us to the world. And just as Jesus is a perfect embodiment of Psalm 36, so also he equips you to be the same, to bring the light of his steadfast love to a dark and to a dying world. And you cannot do that unless you come desperate, unless you come needy, unless you come to his presence where he will yet again, by the beauty of his grace, strengthen you for the week ahead. Jesus supplies everything that you have thirsted and longed for in his death and resurrection for you. Would you believe it? Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Trinity, please visit our website at trinityowasso.com.